Thank you for reading the passage. And again, that was Acts 5, 25 through 42 in the NIV version. And we are continuing in our series in Acts, the Spirit-Infused Multi-Ethnic Church. And I've entitled today's sermon, Spaz. Um, again, Acts 5, 25 through 42. And previously on Acts, we remember from last week that uh, we have a married couple, Ananias and Sapphira, in a generous community, in a community where people would step up and sell their homes, sell their land in order to help those who were in need and laying these at the apostles' feet. Ananias and Sapphira are a couple that do such a thing and give, uh, sell their property and give the money to the apostles' feet, but they hold some back for themselves, but they give under the guise that they're giving totally, all of it. And so in that um, was a little uh, lie. Um, and they're struck down dead um, by the Spirit of God. And we're told that fear grips the church. And I think it's important to remember, just going back to that, that it's not the apostles or the disciples or any human that carries out this execution. So there's not violence on the part of this community of faith, but it's God that takes life. And it's important to know that God and the Spirit of God, as this Spirit is moving and this community is growing, that we remember that God has the power to both breathe life and give life and the power to take life away. So whether we think it's fair or not, God did it. And it's important to know because later, uh, the Christian community is going to be persecuted at threat of life. People will be stoned. People will be crucified. And it's the world that will be executing and um, um, violently treating the people community of faith. But it's not the community of faith that's judging its, its own members and killing, and killing them. So that's point number one. But back to this fear. Proverbs 1.7 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fear sets in this community, but this is a correct, healthy alignment. It's a good type of fear. F placing the fear of the Lord above the fear of other powers and principalities in the world. The question is, church, to whom do we belong? We belong to God. And right then, in those days, the Spirit of God was moving swiftly, decisively, and with great power among the people. We move into our section of Acts and give context. Um, and I'd like to excerpt, read an excerpt from Willie James Jennings on his Acts commentary uh, to give us uh, more of an idea and a baseline for what I'm talking about. Quote, like the people of Israel at Mount Sinai, where holy space was touched and someone died, so too now fear grips the followers. Yet much like life at the foot of the mountain, so too again we find crowds of broken and needy people looking for the power of God to touch them. So more, so more desperate people come believing and needing, and the apostles are brought back to the revelation of the creation first shown to them by Jesus. The creature is sick and tormented. 
and in the presence of God, cries out for help from a God who hears and helps. The apostles live and move in that sacred meeting space between wounded human cry and outstretched divine arm. Their actions again draw the attention of the political religious caste in Israel who will now move against them, motivated by one overarching reason, jealousy. The great irony of political struggle once again shows itself. Those who want control over people, insanely jealous of those who want to help people. Yet beyond this irony of political struggle is a deeper theological truth. God, through these disciples, announces that creation has taken back, that creation has been taken back from the powers and principalities. This is uh, Willie James Jennings again from Acts, um, his theological commentary on the Bible. And so as fear is setting in on this community, this fear is the fear of the power of the Holy Spirit, the power of God, the Holy Spirit moving among them. And there's an awe, a reverence, a worship for this. And I would say we are going to fear something in our lives. We are going to give allegiance or loyalty. We're going to be servants to something, some authority and power in our lives. And the question, the lines that are being drawn out in this battle is, are you going to be with the resurrected Jesus Christ? Are you going to be, have a fear of God and be loyal to God? Or are you going to be a um, have fear for the powers and rulers of the world, the, uh, the, the powers and principalities of the world. And we see this happening in Acts, that the, the, these lines, this, these delineations are being made clear and vivid. You can get with this or you can get with that. And so after Ananias, after the Ananias and Sapphira, uh, Sapphira narrative, we learn that fe- Again, the fear grips the entire community. And what we get now is a rinse and repeat of what, of the uh, events that happened in chapter four, following the lame beggars healing that miracle, when the rulers and authorities of the temple arrest Peter and John because of the miracle, uh, detain them and question them, and then command them not to speak again of the resurrection of Christ. So we get a kind of um, a parallel story here, but this time everything is bigger. Everything is more intense. Everything um, is a bit more heated. The pressure is mounting and persecution is, begins to turn into violence and anger and rage. And so while chapter four happened and they got away with a slap on the hand, now in chapter five, things get a little more serious. And we learn that the apostles continue to perform many signs and wonders among the people. And what the, what the scripture tells us is uh, that it was common in those days for the believers to gather at Solomon's portico. And we remember Solomon's portico uh, was where... Uh, the people chased the apostles down after they healed the lame man outside of the temple gates. 
they chased and gathered around the apostles at Solomon's portico. And this is where the temple's rulers first detained the apostles. So this place, Solomon's portico, begins to become the place where new believers, the believers of the way, begin to gather within the temple courts. And so the reason my sermon is called SPAS is it's an acronym for, and this is a play on some events in Seattle, the capital CHAS, Capitol Hill Autonomous Zone, right? Well, in the temple, Solomon's portico has become an autonomous zone for believers. It's where believers begin to gather around the apostles as it says they're doing signs and wonders and everyone is amazed. Right? So SPAS stands for Solomon's Portico Autonomous Zone. Solomon's Portico Autonomous Zone. And it's where believers are gathered and it's the space that's being um, naturally and organically forming because people are hungry for power, hungry for wonders, and in awe, and they're hungry and broken. As Willie James Jennings uh, says, the world is hungry, the creature is sick and tormented, and they're crying out for the presence of God. We also learn uh, that the crowds are getting bigger and bigger, and people are, are bringing the sick in on mats and bringing in those, uh, those with evil spirits in order to be delivered at the feet of the apostles. Not only were offerings being brought to the feet of the apostles, but the sick, the lame, the blind, those possessed by evil spirits are being brought to the feet of the apostles and they're being healed. Just like when Jesus was alive and Jesus was ministering, in fact, the sphere of influence is increasing. The text says that they even people from neighboring towns around Jerusalem are bringing their family members, are bringing their friends, are bringing their neighbors that are sick to Solomon's portico, to spaz. And you can't hide these throngs of people. They can't hide, it's getting so big. They're in the temple and the priests are beginning to get jealous, it says. They're enraged with jealousy because it's about control over the people. They have control over the people because of their religious authority, because of their position, maybe because of fear. And yet they see that the apostles have a power, right? That's influencing the people. That's motivating the people. That's drawing the people. A power and influence that they don't have. And, and it's not one of fear and control, but one of love and healing and true power that's coming from the Holy Spirit. But they don't understand that. They just feel threatened by it, right? So you can't hide the throngs of people, right? And this section of the temple has become Solomon's portico autonomous zone. And it's interesting to observe now who reacts how in this growing movement, 
And people have various tolerance to disruption, right? Those in power often don't like to feel like they're losing control of the status quo, right? Things are getting messy. Right? They're losing control and it freaks them out. People in power. Meanwhile, here the good news is spreading about this spaz. And even people from the suburbs are gathering to join in on the movement. They see this as a good uh, they see this as a good place, as a place of power and wonder and awe. Good news for the sick, good news for the poor, good news for the blind, freedom for the captives, being set free from the bondage, from chains, being delivered from spirits that have oppressed for many for years. It's a good place, and that's why they're gathering. So the high priest and his buddies um, that were in the party, it says the Sadducees party, the party of the Sadducees. And remember, Sadducees did not believe in the resurrection of the dead. The high priest and his buddies in the Sadducees party were filled with jealousy, however. Just as in chapter 4, well, why are they jealous? They're jealous because they're losing control and influence over the people. The believers have created an autonomous zone in their own precinct, and they can do nothing about it. Even generic people are like liking on the Christians. Um, we hear, again, the people um, that aren't, are separate from the believers. It says, the scripture says that uh, the people um, like, they, they, find, they hold the Christians in favor. They like the Christians, the believers, but that they're afraid to join them. Right? Fear of the priests, fear of the Sadducees are keeping them from joining them. And that's all that the Sadducees have is fear to control the people. But what the disciples, the apostles have is love, compassion, servanthood, and the power of the Holy Spirit. We know people that love wins, right? Servanthood wins. Good news wins in the end, right? You can hold someone captive through fear. You can hold someone captive through threats. You can hold someone captive through, with chains physical chains. You can hold someone captive uh, through politics, right? But you can't truly hold someone's uh, affections and heart and soul with those things without love, right? Without new life. The only recourse the Sadducees have is to criminalize the apostles. They order the arrest of the apostles for the second time and detain them overnight. But while they're in prison, the apostles are in prison, an angel of the Lord comes at night and opens the doors of the prisons and, to release them. And the angel orders the apostles uh, to go and stand in the temple courts once again and tell the people about 
this, what? New life. New life. And we, it doesn't matter who you are. We know life when we see it. We know renewal when we see it. I mean, our church is called Renew. The reason we're called Renew is because we believe that following Jesus and being a part of God's community of faith is refreshing, amen? Leads to life. That being a part of Christ's body and following Jesus isn't about death, isn't um, about destruction, it isn't about despair, but it's about new life. It's about freedom. It's about jumping and dancing and singing and praising God with all of our heart because we're so grateful and so thankful for what he is doing, what he has done and what he will do, right? In the spirit, God is doing good news and we are a people of the gospel of good news and we know this. New life in the midst of death. New life in the midst of economic crisis. New life in the, in the midst of tragedy and sickness, a pandemic. New life in the midst of injustice and being oppressed. New life in the, in the midst of your disappointments in your life. Things not going the way you wanted to. A loss of relationships, a loss of loved ones. Death, disease, in the midst of you struggling and wrestling with your own demons, the dark parts inside you, in the midst of dealing with past wounds, the ways you were hurt or abused in your own personal past, new life. Do you know that Jesus, that God has new life for you? Say yes and receive new life. And this is what the apostles were preaching in the temple. And this is why people flock to them. Because we knew no new life when we see it. We know real, true power when we see it. And when the Holy Spirit is moving, everybody knows. It's obvious. Clearly. Transformation is happening in our midst. Clearly. Goodness is happening in our midst. Are you with me, church? Amen? Amen. <laughs> but this is what happens. In the morning, the high priest and his associates, they get up. They return to the jail. They're like, where are the apostles? They learn that the apostles are gone. And I think right here we are meant as readers to remember the empty tomb where Jesus Christ was laid after his, after his crucifixion. We are, we are to remember in reading this, the empty jail, that indeed death has not won. Jesus is resurrected. His body is not in the tomb. He has gone ahead. Go, run, and tell. Give witness, go and tell. The Sadducees live in a worldview that expects the body in the tomb. The Sadducees expect the bodies of their subjects in the jail cell. But the Holy of Spirit of God has other plans. 
The cell is empty. The tomb is empty. He is not here. Christ has risen. He has risen indeed. And in the same power, in the same way, the apostles are not there. The cell is empty. And where are they? Someone shouts, Hey, priest, look over there. They're back at Spaz with their megaphones, rallying the protesters. They're speaking. They're preaching the gospel. What are we going to do? They're back at the temple. Go get them. And when the, the, the priests hear this, they're like, oh my gosh, the audacity, right? And most of us would be like, man, you were in jail and you were set free? Go home, go in hiding, run away, run away. But instead, what do they do? They go right back into the temple courts. Because why? Because they were commanded by the angel of the Lord. They were commanded by God, by the spirit of God, to go back to the temple and preach and speak new life. That's a direct quote. Go and continue speaking, telling the people about new life. And that's what we're called to do, is wherever we see death, wherever we see brokenness, wherever we see need, we as the community of faith are commanded to go and tell people about new life, to speak and embody and to bring new life, to be truth sayers, right? To be the embodiment of the spirit of Christ that is the Lord of life, not death. And we need to quit being aligning ourselves with the groups or being the group as the church that speaks death to people, that pushes people down, that seeks to control people. We don't need to fight the funk on a nasty dunk, right? Let go. Let go of jealousy. Let go of insecurity. Let go of envy. Let go of the need to be self-important. Let go of status, right? The type of status that the world offers that doesn't satisfy. Let go of the power of the world um, and give in. Let the spirit fill you with what God wants to give you, right? If you find yourself struggling and struggling and fighting for your rights, fighting for your position, fighting for your title, fighting for like, I should be able to do this and you're holding me down. You're Anakin Skywalker. You're just holding me down, right? And you find more and more that you're rep representing the dark side of the force. What is the dark side of the force? It's power, but the power is fueled by things like rage and anger and violence and control and manipulation and jealousy. Right? If you're feeling jealousy and envy and makes you want to gossip or control people or step on other people or talk bad about other people and speak death into situations, then that's the dark side of the force. You're on, you're, you're buying into the empire. Amen? But if you are laying your life down, 
right? If you are seeking to love and uplift people, that's the good side. That's the spirit-infused life. And we want to be a community that is the light side of the force, that through laying down our lives, through allowing the Holy Spirit to move through us and not fighting that, that we uplift one another. Amen, amen. This is what the Spirit-infused multi-ethnic church is about. Because really, what it means, people ask me, like, what does it take to be a multi-ethnic church, you know, or multicultural, or have, have a diversity in your church body? And I think what a lot of us need to understand and grow in is how we deal with power, right? And the church is not immune from issues of power and manipulation of power or how we use power. And most issues in the church, as with many other institutions, is the way that leaders and people hold and carry their power. We either lord our power over one another or we say, or we try to hold on to power. When really the way of the spirit is to lay things down. for the sake of life in other people. Amen, church. So they're not there. The cell is empty. The priests learn that the disciples are at spaz, rallying the people once again. The people are excited, full of joy, and amazing things are happening. And so what the priests do is arrest the apostles and bring them before the Sanhedrin to get interrogated. And the Sanhedrin is basically when the priests and other people, it's like the full assembly of the religious leaders. And we see here that the religious leaders, their jealousy has turned to murderous rage. They want to actually literally execute the apostles. And sometimes in the church, we see authorities and government powers to be untouchable, right? We must obey the government, right? We shouldn't challenge uh, authorities. They are for good. God is on their side. In fact, God, the Bible says God brought the rulers in our lives, the governments in our lives uh, for us to obey and submit to. But these religious leaders, these men of the cloth aren't innocent, right? They're not infallible. They aren't harmless. They have turned their own political envy and jealousy into institutionalized violence and are manipulating religion to justify the murderous, their murderous intent, wanting to murder innocent men just because they're doing good and the people like it. So Gamaliel, and it says Gamaliel is one of the uh, religious priests, um, one of the elders, and he's respected and honored by everyone, basically. He's a good guy. Um, he changes his mind. He calms him down. And the way he does this uh, is by speaking to their political minds, right? He says, just reason with me. Right? Remember when this revolutionary leader rose up 
and gathered 400 people, and then he died, and the movement failed. And that other time, right, th this leader rose up, and a lot of people were happy and gathered up, and then he died, right? And it was squelched. In the same way, let's not do anything. Let's just wait, just chill out. Because if God is not for this, the same thing will happen, all right? Which is interesting argument because I would say, okay, I would be thinking personally, okay, if the leader dies and the movement is squelched, let's kill Peter and John, then the movement will get squelched, right? Uh, but I think what Gamaliel is saying is, Jesus died, right? We, believe, we don't believe in the resurrection, right? He died. So this, this thing is not gonna last, right? This movement can't last, it's gonna die. But the thing is that because Jesus is alive and the power of the Holy Spirit is moving, the power is still there. It's still very much, Jesus is very much alive. And that's why the movement will not die. And that's why we read in Acts in the summary statements after each of this, even though the heat is rising, the persecution is getting more intense, right? The threat of violence and death even that the church continues to grow in the Holy Spirit. The church will not be stopped. So instead of killing the disciples, they flogged the disciples, which some historians say involves 39 lashing. And actually some people would not survive these 39 lashes. And then they set the disciples free. And once again, they forbid them to speak of Jesus and the life, right? And one of the important things the apostles mention is, are we supposed to obey God or should we obey man? And that's the crux. Do we obey God or do we obey men, right? It doesn't matter what you tell me to say, right? And so in our, as we line things up, Oh, do, we, do I obey man or do I obey God? God is first, right? You see it right here. God is first before any institution, before the rulers and authority, before the religious institutions. God is first. We listen to God. When the pressure mounts, let us never stop. In chapter 5, the pressure is definitely mounting. And we'll see later on, you know, with Stephen getting stoned, people actually being martyred for the faith. And historically, we know that the Christians were persecuted beyond all measure. When the pressure mounts, let us never stop. It's popular to think that in the US, we are not persecuted for our faith like Christians in other nations. This is true. Our lives are not threatened as those in other places. We don't have underground churches. We don't need underground churches. We have the freedom of religion here. But to truly give witness to the kingdom of God and the good news of new life for all people often puts us against the powers. If we are astute in our discernment, faithful to our witness, and have integrity in living out the gospel, 
feathers will be ruffled. If you are being truthful, if you're having integrity and living out the gospel, feathers will be ruffled. We will be confronted with violence and anger. People will want to delete us and erase us because of what we stand for, because of what we're saying, because of the truth we're speaking and our actions. Even other Christians who, who may respect and think well of you will not join you in your call to love and do mercy and do justice. Even other Christians will persecute you, saying it's not faithful to speak of this or that or to stand for this or against that. You will be first persecuted. You'll be shunned. You'll be deleted. But it's not all subjective and relative. What we see in the life of Christ and the life of this early church is a standing against power to the detriment, power that is oppressing the poor, the sick, and the broken. Or rather, when they are faithful to serve the poor, the sick, the broken, and the foreigners in their midst, the head of the monster emerges. The kraken is released because it's threatened, because you've stirred it. Church, we are to be a counterculture. Where the world speaks death into the lives of some, we are a community that speaks life. Where the, group, where the groups of the world would push one another down for control, step on heads for access, for life, to get to the top, we bow down and uplift, we serve, we give. Where the groups of the world would isolate and tribalize to protect self-interest against others, we seek to bridge and reconcile and unify in the power of the Holy Spirit and the name of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. Give us the courage to stand for what is right. Even in the midst of opposition, pressure, persecution. That we may lose our lives to gain it in following you. Help us to be a church that is about new life for all people that we would live into our name, renew. Give us tangible ways um, to answer your, your call to us as a body to speak life, to go to the temple courts, go to the spazes, the chazes, to the village, to the city, and speak life, to offer life. In the name of the Father, the Son, the life-giving Holy Spirit. Amen.